Welcome to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast, where we explore the conscious use of technology. Listen in to hear thought leaders and other guests discuss the human relationship with technology and learning to thrive in the digital era. Hosted by the author of the international best-selling digital self-mastery series and being at work, Dr. Heidi Forbes Usta. So welcome to the Evolving Digital Self podcast with Dr. Heidi Forbes Usta. And today we have Sue Thomas joining us. Sue has written this fabulous book. It's called Nature and Well-Being, the Digital Age. And we've just got so many wonderful things to learn from her today. I can't wait to hear her input. Let me tell you a little bit about Sue. Her latest book, Nature and Well-Being in the Digital Age, just came out this year, which offers practical ways to connect to nature without logging off. Some other books include Technobiophilia, Nature and Cyberspace, A Study of Metaphors in Nature and Technology, Hello World, Travels in Virtuality, and Technologue, Memoir of Life Online, and the novel Correspondence. So we'll have to hear a little bit more about that. It's a story of transformation which was shortlisted on the Arthur C. Clarke Science Fiction Award. From 2005 to 2013, she was a professor of new media at De Montfort University and is now a visiting fellow at Bournemouth University. She lives by the sea on the south coast of England. Welcome, Sue Thomas. Thank you. So nice to have you here today. And uh, as we mentioned before, she's all the way in the UK. So even though we're doing our video today, we'll see how the light and nature evolves with us. So this is kind of fun. The beautiful thing about uh, technology is we can do things over time and space that couldn't have done before. I think that's kind of a nice way to get started. So Sue, can you tell us a little bit about technobiophilia? Well, Technobiophilia is a book that I wrote. Um, it was actually published in 2013, but it took me eight years to research. And quite a lot of it is based in your neck of the woods, California. And very briefly, it came from my own interest in cyberspace, writing about technology for 20 years, being very obsessed with cyberspace, but curious about the fact that a lot of my writing tends to equate being in cyberspace with being out in nature. And that's what I wrote about in Hello World. And I started to wonder, am I the only person who feels this? And I started looking at metaphors of nature as we use them in cyberspace, like surfing, the cloud, streams, etc., etc. And so I started researching that. And it took me eight years and a lot of interviewing, particularly in California, with the early people from cyberspace and the Internet to figure out that what was really going on here was our desire to be close to nature, even when we're online. So that's where the word came from. Biophilia is the love of nature and techno obviously connected to it. So the, the technobiophilia is the love of uh, technology and the love of nature combined. Fabulous. What a great concept. So that was written or that was completed and published in 2013. And now you've had several years to really evolve it further. And from what I understand, nature and well-being in the digital age is really an evolution of that where the, the story continues, so to speak. Can you tell us a little about whether there was, you know, what were the biggest changes and the most profound pieces for you in that change? Because technology has changed a lot since 2013. It certainly has. 
Um, and it's changed a lot since the internet itself was born in 1969. Absolutely. <laughs> so, when I began the book, it was very much a technobiophilia. This is the one I'm, I mean. Um, it was very um, academic, very detailed. A lot of research went into it. And so in some ways, it was quite a complicated read. By the time I got to the end of it and I realized this connection with biophilia, I realized that it had taken me in an unexpected direction. And that proved to be one I hadn't anticipated, which is about how connecting with nature makes us feel good mm. and how it's something that we do on our computers, on our phones, without even thinking about it. So a typical example would be often when I give talks about this, I ask people in the audience how many of them have some kind of a nature image on their wallpaper or their uh, screensaver. And usually over 50% of people have that. Wow, that's quite high. Yeah, it would be interesting for your listeners to think about, do they have a picture of, of, of nature on their laptop or their phone? So it kind of evolved my own understanding of my relationship with technology and nature and everybody else's, mm -hmm. so that by the end of the book, I'd come up with some notions about how we could make that work for us in a conscious way. Mm-hmm. And then it took me those few years to think about, well, how can I do this in a more simplified, straightforward, small book with practical exercises to actually help us develop that and to, if you like, what I call feel better without logging off. So that's where nature and well-being in the digital age came from. Nice. Do you have, uh, I mean, it is, this is such a new space that I'm, I'm sure there's, there's not a whole lot of data. And I think that's one of the things that we, that both you and I challenge, are challenged by in, in this space because the data just doesn't exist yet. Um, there's not enough studies that show sort of the real measurable impact. And yet we, we all feel it. You think about all of these memes and things with animals and, other things that make us all feel better and makes us feel calm when things are chaos. As you were speaking, I was remembering after our crazy election recently, I posted a picture while I was walking out on the beach, clearing my head. And it was just a picture of the waves and just, ca or it was actually a video of the waves and capturing the sound of the waves. And I posted it on Instagram and just said, for your peace of mind in all of the chaos. And I got so many people shared it. Yeah. You know, it just what you were saying just really resonated for me from from that perspective. It was sort of something that I felt I needed to share. So yeah. it was sort of captured in that digital sense. But clearly other people felt that soothing effect from that same image. Mm -hmm. um, that, so. That's a really, yeah, that's a really good example. I mean, I live very close to the coast too, and we have a, a pier. And um, on any day when it looks like there's going to be a good sunset, there are just tons of people on the pier, on the beach. They're all taking photos of the sunset. They all post it on Facebook. And we all tick like, 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 like. And that really is sharing a biophilic experience, mm -hmm. um, a moment of being in nature, which we share together in Facebook. So, yes, what you were doing is, is done all over the world all the time in astounding numbers. Uh, very heartwarming to see. Yeah, very much so. Are you aware of any kind of metrics or studies that are being used today to really understand the impact on well-being? 
I can tell you about one or two things that might be of interest to you. Um, in a kind of anecdotal way, two or three years ago, I published an article in Slate about this work. And I was contacted by some researchers at Farmville, if you remember Farmville, mm -hmm. the farming game in Facebook. Oh, yeah. And that was really fascinating because they do a lot of focus group work and so on. And they had always seen a, a kind of metrics that surprised them, which was people saying how much they used Farmville to relax, to de-stress at the end of the day, to feel in contact with the nature and animals and so on. And they hadn't really expected that because to them it was a game, you know, the, mm -hmm. their, their research was about the gaming. But they had a really large number of people who used it to relax. And they contacted me and they said, can we talk? Because until we read that article, we didn't know why. So that was a very illuminating moment. But there has been some hard research. Um, there's a Canadian researcher called Delcho Valchinov, who quite some years ago now, did uh, an experiment in virtual reality. Now, this experiment mimicked one that had been done in, I think it was near Detroit some years previously, which was about sending students out into nature and also out into the city streets and giving them difficult problems to solve and measuring their levels of stress, heart rate, etc., and how easily they could solve these problems. And he found that when they were working at walking out in nature in the park, they could solve the problems much more efficiently and their stress rates were lower. Mm. Well, Delcho Valchinov, his PhD, I think it was maybe in the University of Ontario, he replicated that experiment, but in virtual reality. So he had a virtual reality nature environment and um, a city one and a couple of others. And he found the same results that people who'd been in virtual reality nature performed better than those who'd been in the, the urban environment. There's also uh, not quite the same, but very interesting, um, some work in a game called Snow World. And that's a virtual reality game that was developed for wounded soldiers who'd suffered from burns. Mm. And one of the biggest problems that they have with that is that every day they have to have their dressings changed and it's excruciatingly painful. And it was developed, this game Snow World was developed so that they could go into virtual reality, into a cold, snowy environment and play games in there in virtual reality while their dressings were being changed. And apparently the results were amazing. They were so absorbed by, by this sense of being out in the snow that they, some didn't even feel the dressings being changed. Oh, what a wonderful but, story. Absolutely. So it's, it's kind of is nature and it isn't. It's a bit borderline, but you see what I'm getting at. Yeah. So there has absolutely. been some evidence. Yeah, well, wonderful. And I hope there's only more because I think that, you know, as I said before, we all feel it. It's just a question of, you know, can we get the data so that we can really encourage people who are skeptical or who, yeah. you know, who don't really understand the benefit and just sort of say, oh, well, you can't mix these two things. Well, I'm working on a project now with Bournemouth University, which is creating a virtual reality nature environment for Alzheimer's patients. So in a year or two, we should have some data about that. But that's very early days. Yeah. Nice. I wonder mm. if we could, in some context, create a sort of a natural environment, virtual reality or augmented reality experience where 
you know, if we're working, as you're saying, you get more focused and you get more comfortable and whatever. When we're looking at entrepreneurs, a lot of my audience is entrepreneurs and they're trying to balance and figure out, you know, how technology can enhance their ability to really perform, but connect. There's got to be some way that we can integrate those pieces. Mm. And my brain is just ticking, 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 <laughs> ticking. And I'm thinking, oh, there's some interesting yeah. opportunities for collaboration there. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. how do you use technobiophilia for yourself? Well, uh, the whole process of writing the first book and then putting together the second book has made me kind of super conscious of mm -hmm. the way that I, I operate. And it's also made me realize there are some mistakes that I've made without even realizing it over the years. So I'm kind of deliberately trying to correct those. Mm -hmm. So I'm learning that you have to be mindful and aware of your relationship with nature when you're working, um, when you're at You don't have to be at home to be connected with nature, have house plants or whatever, but you can also work outside, take your laptop or your phone outside. Some kind of tips would be things like if you can have an outdoor office, that's really quite helpful if you've got the right climate to be able to take your work outside. Also, I like to keep things on my desk that are very tactile. Mm. Um, I also have, I don't know if you can see it here, this is a wooden wireless mouse. Oh, so it's actually bamboo. So I'm kind of touching wood all the time when I use my mouse. I have some stones and a piece of bronze that I made on my desk that I'm kind of consciously picking up when I'm thinking and connecting, if you like, with the physical, natural world, trying to kind of build it into my daily habits. And also, of course, just literally going out, going for a walk, taking a break. And I think the physical side of it is really important. So if you have houseplants on your desk or in your office or whatever, to actually make a point of going out and tending them, touching them, watering them, feeding them, and having a relationship with your plants rather than just looking at them. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's a simple, so it's those little simple things that I try to build into my routines. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's so true. It's interesting the way that you talk about that. It's, it's, I often try to help people understand to have a similar type of relationship with their technology. And then it, that, that relationship is much more balanced and fluid. So it's sort of, you know, you can, it's all interchangeable. How yeah. is your relationship, as we know, technology is constantly evolving. And in particularly the last, you know, 20, 30 years, it's just been lightning speed. And obviously had huge impact on the way that we work, on the way that we engage with other people, the way that we engage with ourselves. How has it changed for you and how has your relationship with technology evolved during that time? I've been obsessed for a long time. <laughs> so I would say that probably for the last 20 years, um, since around 1995, I've been online pretty much all day, every day. And so the benefit of having Wi-Fi is just wonderful compared with those early years where everything was plugged in and you hear the modem dialing up. And that. Yeah, that sort of, <laughs> and actually is even more high-pitched than that. Those are too calm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my early years were spent, I used to run an online community for writers um, in the kind of mid-late 90s. And I was also very involved in um, text-based virtual worlds, which at those times um, were literally text. We had no audio or images or anything like that. It was just a, a plain black and white screen 
and whatever you created, you created in text. And I spent several years in one of those. It was called a moo. Some of your older listeners might remember moos and muds. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where I got very interested in the notion of the body and the way that we can leave the body behind and be in cyberspace in the online space and be be who you really are if you like as so that you're not tied down by your physical existence so for a long time i was very keen to leave the body behind and i wrote about that a lot in hello world that was all about my experience in in moos and muds but it was writing technobiophilia that made me realize actually it's not a good idea to long to leave the body behind. So I would say how my relationship has changed is that now I'm really very interested in integrating the two. I am not interested in turning off my computer or my phone. I know a lot of people like to go down the digital detox route, but I think really that's unrealistic and a bit kind of paranoid. I think there are lots of opportunities for us to live a realistic, well-balanced, integrated, digital and, and, if you like, real Mm -hmm. life. I agree with you 100%. It's it's funny, the whole concept of a digital detox, because sometimes that's the language that people understand. I go through a process with my clients that I refer to as the digital elimination diet rather than digital detox. But essentially, it's uh, taking them through a process of identifying which technology works really well for them and which things are not and are sort of toxic and causing bad behaviors or disruption in their way of being. So it's more a, a way of figuring out what your baseline is and then sort of slowly adding things in to figure out what's your optimized tech ecosystem for you to be in a flow state. But that baseline is constantly moving because more and more of our lives are required to be, you know, digitized, whether that's using your phone for your bus ticket or, you know, which is no longer a phone, really. I mean, how many people actually use it for a telephone call? (laughs) But your device, I should say, becomes more of your access to so many other things you know, your directions to where you're going, for example. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think that that is uh, a challenging piece to change people's mindset of complete elimination or removal versus yeah. removing the toxic pieces that aren't working so well and maybe, you know, are not helping. Yeah. I think it's, it's uh, as you say, what, what you're describing, I guess, is being mindful and um, using your technology in a conscious way. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think that that kind of idea of selecting what works for you and discarding what doesn't is very sensible. I would say, however, that I think maybe one of the biggest problems I have is that in the early days, we just really had email. And if you could get online and have a chat in a moo or whatever, you were lucky. Now, people use so many different ways to communicate. And I feel like I have to use them all. And I do find that quite frustrating. Mm -hmm. So some people will only talk on Facebook and Messenger. Some people prefer WhatsApp. Um, some people prefer email, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I am looking forward to when that becomes a bit more streamlined. Yeah, I think, I think we all are. It's, uh, yeah. I think 
you know, it's, it, it's wonderful th- to see things evolving and becoming more sort of, you know, aggregation of content so that we can consume it all in one place or respond to it all in one place. Same with the, you know, when we talk about well-being, I did my dissertation research around um, wearable technologies and presence of mind in the workplace. And they're looking at the wearables, you know, even just this was three years ago. At that point, there was no way to aggregate the data that was coming in. So you have all of these different apps to try to track what's going on. And a lot of them are tracking the same things. In that short period of time, now we have a lot of great aggregation tools that really help us understand what's going on, really going on without having to take us out to many different places. So I think we will see that, but I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm looking forward to getting to a place where. That's a little bit easier. Yeah. 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 In fact, uh, you've reminded me that on my website, I've got a challenge for developers to to think about what you're describing, because what I would like to see is a kind of technobiophilia app where, you know, when I go out for a walk, I can come back and it will tell me, you know, how far I've walked, where I've walked, that kind of thing. But I would also like it to tell me, oh, in your lunch break, you left your office and you walked in the park and we can see that you did that. And your heart rate dropped when you walked in the park, you know, and to put it all together so that you have a kind of biophilia rating, which you can see going up and down according to where you are, because the app not only knows where you are on the map, but it also understands what kind of place that is. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I wouldn't, you know, you should try to reach out to some of, you know, the runner tracking apps, because they probably could layer that with a topographical map yeah. or something yeah. to, to get that data. Yeah, quite um, possible. Yeah. But the, yeah, I think that would be very helpful. Yeah. Oh, and that would be would, really cool. Yeah. And you were talking before about data. I mean, that, there would be a whole load of data. Oh, I mean, yeah, exactly. What a wonderful way to really capture the data. And you could have, you know, some really fun interactive gaming components of sort of see, yeah. you know, instead of catching Pokemon, see how low you can get your heart rate when you're walking through, <laughs> yeah. a, you know, a city park yeah. or something. <laughs> Doing forest bathing. Yeah, yeah. Forest I bathing. Did. Yeah. I did two or three years ago. I was invited to Rio de Janeiro to do a hackathon and I couldn't actually go, but I sent them a challenge anyway. And one of the winning designs was really interesting. Basically, it hooked up your houseplant with your own readings. And the way it worked was that if you looked after yourself during the day and you got exercise and you were out in nature, then it would feed your plant. But if you did not look after yourself, it would not feed the plant. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Those so, poor plants. <laughs> so, yeah, people are playing around with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of fun things that could be done there. That's, that's fun. This episode of The Evolving Digital Self is sponsored by Good Idea. Good Idea is the Swedish sugar buster. It's a scientifically proven dietary supplement designed to go perfectly with any meal. The big deal is that Good Idea, the Swedish sugar buster, contains a blend of five amino acids and a mineral in sparkling water that helps those with normal blood sugar levels handle the sugar spike following a meal. And it works with any meal containing fast carbs and or sugar. That's why Good Idea, the Swedish Sugar Buster, might well be your best lunch date ever. And the one you can have every day. 
Available now on Amazon.com. For more information, go to GoodIdeaDrinks.com. Oh, gosh, there's so many different ways that this conversation could go because I, I just love, love, love what you're working with. But um, as you mentioned, and actually in your book, you talk about some sort of things, you know, recommendations that you make to people to help them become more conscious in their relationship with nature and how that integrates with technology and technobiophilia. Can you share some of those tips with our audience? Some environmental psychology researchers are interested in what is a daily dose of nature. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were a doctor prescribing, would you say to people, you need to spend 10 minutes in a forest every day or whatever it might be? So I think it's an interesting tip to analyze what is your daily dose of nature right now. Maybe keep some notes, um, keep it on your phone or however you want to do it so that you can start to graph out, if you like, or log what you normally do now. You know, if you walk to the bus stop to work, do you have five minutes on a leafy street or and do are you consciously connecting with the trees or are you just reading your phone, you know? Um, and then once you've got an idea of your daily dose of nature as it is now, then you could start looking for ways to increase the numbers. Mm-hmm. So that's a kind of long term project, really. Yeah. But an interesting one in my book, I've got lots of ideas as to how you can increase those numbers. Yeah. And speaking of your book, you've been very generous to offer a downloadable version of your book for people who are listening. And I just want to remind the listeners that if you go to the podcast page for this interview, there will be a link there. So please be sure to take a moment and download the book so you can learn a lot more about all of Sue Thomas's work and how you can integrate it into your own relationship with nature and technology and well-being. Because I think there's some really great ideas in there that uh, that we could all benefit from. So, Sue, you're a professor. Do you also uh, work with clients, or are you are you purely a just a sharer teacher? <laughs> well, I I'm not employed as an academic anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a professor of new media, but now I freelance. So I'm connected with uh, Bournemouth University, but basically I'm freelance consultant. So yes, I do consult with clients and go to some really interesting places. This year, I was invited to Singapore to the Department of Psychology in one of the universities there to spend a week looking at technobiophilia in Singapore and talking to students and so on. So I do quite a lot of talks and presentations and consulting like that, Mm -hmm. as well as just writing generally about nature and technology. I write for Orion magazine, which is an American magazine of nature and culture and various other places, too. Great. Oh, so there's plenty of fine, plenty of places that we can find your work, which is really exciting. And I think it'll be really great for uh, for our listeners to be able to follow you and learn more about what you're working with. I'm curious, as we're talking about this, I think about, you know, setting up your tech ecosystem. How can we integrate nature more fluidly into that beyond having images on our screen. I'm thinking some, there's a lot of offices now that are starting to have living walls where, um, you know, there's that kind of thing. Are there other things that you can recommend? There's a lot of interest in biophilic design in offices. And in London, there's currently an an experiment going on to take an ordinary office and spend two years, first of all, measuring all of the workers' 
heart rates and blood pressure and so on, and then redesigning it in a biophilic way and measuring it all again. So more data. Yeah. Um, and the kind of things that they're going to be doing will be planting living walls. And I saw a lot of those in Singapore. They're very popular there. It's also things like the use of images of nature, either in static pictures or on screens. Having living plants around in the office is really helpful, something as simple as that. Water features are an interesting angle on this because water has kind of double plus biophilic benefits. And obviously, that's quite difficult to manage. But even if there was a, a bit of a garden with a small pool, for example, that workers could take a turn around at lunchtime and have a bit of a break outdoors. I know that some of the big Silicon Valley companies are, for example, installing hiking trails in their land if they've got enough land. I know I think the new Apple building has got a, an orchard right in the middle of it, hasn't it? I think so. Um, and also rooms like yoga rooms and meditation rooms where people can be quiet because silence, again, is part of this. We're looking at natural materials, stone, wood, nice fabrics, things that you can actually touch and have a physical experience with. Um, we're looking at I images of nature, but also real nature in terms of the plants, water, and any way that you can actually get some experience of touching or smelling or tasting those kinds of things in the environment. Environment. All of those will, um, if you like, raise the biophilic levels of the um, of the environment, whether it's an office or you're somewhere at home that you like to work. And a very simple tip, and one that took me a long time to figure out for myself, was: Can you? What can you see from your window? Some people have no window. Um, and then there's a question of finding some kind of plant and maybe even an artificial plant if you have to do it. But for example, from my window, I can see the sky because I'm high up in an apartment block. But I've also made sure that there's greenery on my balcony so that I can see that and touch that. And maybe you might need to move your room around a little bit so that you can see out of a window. Uh, move your furniture, you know. So some of those things are actually really quite simple if you just think of them. But it takes, again, that kind of consciousness of your environment to make those small changes. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think, you know, as you're speaking, I'm I'm looking out my window at the Golden Gate Bridge. I'm pretty, I'm very fortunate wow. to have an incredible view. But there's something, I, I always, I get sad when the, the light is too bright and I have to close my curtains. Yes. Because all of a sudden that, calming yeah. sense is gone and I'm I feel yeah. enclosed so you know, yeah. there you have the marine headlands which is sort of you know open space and then the yeah. the bridge it's there's something That's wonderful about that view, view. Yeah. and, and yeah, all that water. pretty lucky yeah all that water that you've got as well yes and, and then there's the thing about just thinking actually I can raise my eyes from my screen for two minutes and just look and empty my mind yeah and that's such a tiny, tiny thing to do, and yet so restorative. I mean, there, there is, I've, I go into it in a lot of detail in technobiophilia, less so in nature and well-being, but there's so much evidence that even that kind of slight contact with nature can really restore your energy, your concentration, your well-being in general, that it's worth giving it a try. Why not? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Now I'm going to have to go read the, the first book. 
I, mean, <laughs> I didn't realize until I started reading more about you. I thought, oh my goodness, I haven't had time to read the first book and the science is there. That's going to be very exciting for me. <laughs> that's but that's I'm the, I'm the yeah. geek, so probably less so for the people or for the people that are listening, but. Who knows? Maybe there's some other geeks out there that want the science too. But uh, pretty exciting to think about the benefits that it can have for our well-being. And when our when we have better well-being, obviously it impacts our productivity and everything else, our ability to yeah, be happy absolutely. and thrive. So that's all really great stuff. One of the things that you showed me earlier, which I got really excited about, but I we were sort of in the middle of the flow of something else, was you had a bamboo mouse. Yes. I love that. I love that. I'd- Underside, you, it's, it's got a lovely red light. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's Bluetooth. It's, it's untethered and it's, and it's tactile. That's, that's just lovely. I think that's yeah. a, such a wonderful example yeah. of how we can bring nature into our technical environment, to our digital world and, and in non-disruptive way. It's really beautiful. Do you have any other examples like that that you use that, that, you know, well, that integrate that? Well, it's funny you should mention that because I've just started making a few small videos. Uh-huh. And the first one that I've made that I recently put online is of some of the things that I keep on my desk. And I described some shells that I brought back from the United Arab Emirates. Mm-hmm. I went to Abu Dhabi for a couple of weeks and I picked up some shells on the beach. And I don't know how much you know about the UAE, but a lot of it is man-made, artificial mm-hmm. So we were staying on an artificial island in an apartment block. And this island had an artificial beach all around it. But it wasn't really artificial. I mean, it was in it was part of the Arabian Sea. But they kind of created the island with a beach around it. But then shells washed up onto the beach. Mm. So So they're they're real. Oh, yeah. Jellyfish and all kinds of things. So I, I made this little video about these shells and how I keep them on my be- on my desk and I can kind of move them around. So I'll send you a link to that. It's Please do. Tiny- we'll we'll put that in uh, in the podcast link. I think uh, great people will enjoy following that too. Also, oh, I think it might be in the second one I made um, is a bronze that I made at Esalen on Big Sur some years ago, mm-hmm. which was also a very kind of intense physical engagement with with creating a bronze work and then firing it on the cliffs that night looking out over the pacific with the roaring fires and again it's that connection of you know i'm physically making something this is the technology but we're out there on the cliffs at big sur you know and that's a pretty powerful place when it comes to connecting with nature yeah yeah and actually it's fortunately reconnected i'm not sure if you heard but that bridge collapsed and, yes, um, but but it's apparently repaired. Is I haven't good? been down yet, but it's good. Big Sur is now reconnected. So, uh, for for those of you listening who haven't had a chance to go down there, you should definitely go oh. connect with nature down in Big Sur. It's a, just yeah. a phenomenal experience. Beautiful, Amazing, beautiful area. Wow, there's just there's so so much richness in what you do, and and so much of value for people to really change that mindset around. It's not an either or. And I think that that's yeah. something really, really powerful that more people should take into account. We all should take into account, whether it is having the natural pieces on your desk or whether it's actually going out into nature and enjoying it. What do you find are the best things for you when you need to pull yourself back into being conscious about your relationship with nature and how you engage with it? 
I mean, as we, as all, as it happens to all of us, life happens and we get distracted and we become unconscious in the way that we move about the world. Sometimes we, mm. we try to be as conscious as possible, but do you have any, any tricks that help pull you back into that consciousness? Well, there's a couple. Um, the online trick that I would say is that I have a little space in Second Life. I've got a character in Second Life and she spends her time forest bathing in a virtual forest in Second Life with a nice running river and so on. And there have been times when I've just logged into Second Life and gone and sat by my river under the trees and done some forest bathing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful. The other thing that I can do more easily because I live five minutes from the beach is go for a walk on the beach. Mm. And just walking along there with my feet in the water, that's when everything reconnects. And there have been times when I will take my phone down with a meditation on the phone, put my earphones on and just sit on the sand and do a meditation. But mostly it's just really walking, being on the sand and then everything falls away and you know, I feel I'm, I'm at baseline then. Yeah. So, so it's kind of, I would say we don't need less technology. What I like to say is that we need more nature, not less technology. So many people say, oh, we have too much technology in our lives. No, we don't have enough nature in our lives. That's mm-hmm. the problem. Yeah. It's really not an either or, is it? And no. There are ways to experience the nature even through the technology. Do you have any favorite apps that you use that, either connect you with nature or connect you with uh, with mindfulness, as you were saying, you use a meditation through your phone, or do you use, for example, I have a, a great app, and I can't even remember the name of it, I'll have to look that up and put it in the link, but that if I see some, uh, some Florida that I don't know the name of and I'm curious about, I can snap a picture ah. of it and it gets sent out to whoever might be able to answer and give me more information about it. Oh, Are there right. things like that that, that you use? I think that that might be called PlantNet, maybe. We have one here that's called PlantNet. Mm. Um, the, my, the meditation app that I really like is called Insight Timer, which is very popular. And one of the things that I, reasons that I like that is because it has a map and it shows you who else is meditating with you around the world. Mm-hmm. And that is great because I like to feel connected to other people. You can actually kind of join in with them, but I'm, I'm not really so interested in that. But I like the idea of my, my head being connected with other people out there somewhere. Um, I found that very invigorating. Aside from that, I used to have a screensaver that had koi, you know, the goldfish. Uh-huh. It, it had koi. Um, it was a koi screensaver. And it was amazing because you could kind of touch shit with your finger and the fish would f- would swim away or oh, you could fun. stir the water yeah or you could rearrange the rocks and I used to really like playing with that it was very relaxing but it also took up a lot of memory so mm-hmm. in the end I gave up with that one but I would say a lot of these live wallpapers they are nature focused and they, they can be really quite fun to play around with Aside from that, I've been experimenting a bit with Google Cardboard and virtual reality environments. The New York Times, NYTVR, does a really good one. For example, there you can go and walk with bison uh, out in the wild and kind of feel that you've got them all, all around you. Things like that. But I 
I don't use the kind of timers that say we're going to turn your phone off now in five minutes for your own benefit. Yeah. That kind of stuff. No, thanks. <laughs> Yeah, no, I saw your post about that. I think we all, everybody has mixed feelings about that. It's sort of, wait a minute, I want to be in control. That's sort yes. of saying that you ha- you oh. no longer have accountability for your own control and your behavior. Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah. I can't remember where it is in my book, but I do say, you know, you're a grown-up. Mm-hmm. You can choose whether to turn your phone on or off. There's no, it's not addicting you. It's not some kind of malevolent evil force. You're a grown-up if you don't want your phone on. Turn it off. Yeah. You know, what's the big deal? <laughs> yeah. And I, I think the, the whole accountability and awareness is something that, that I really tried to teach in, in my work. And it's hard because people don't want to be yeah. accountable for it. They want, it's very right, easy right. to blame technology and say, Oh, yeah. it's this evil thing. But really, you know, it's, yeah. it's designed by people for people. You know, it's a, there, there is humanity behind it within it and, and what it's for. So it's really, it's important for us to respect it and appreciate the incredible value that it provides to our lives. Yeah. And to think so. that you're, you're addicted, so you're somehow helpless. Mm-hmm. It's just plain wrong, I think, and self-deluding. Yes, and I think that there are some people that are prone to addictive behaviors that really don't have that. They're sort of missing the control piece. So yeah. I think yeah. that that's more people that are prone to Addiction in they'd general. Be addicted to, yeah, they'd be addicted to anything. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Versus, you know, well, I have to use it a lot because it happens to be the tool because now it's so multifunctional that I need it for so many different functions yeah. in my, in yeah. my life. And, and, and as a result, my life is simplified because I'm not having to use many different tools. But I think we forget about the fact that the, that it's actually making things easier. Or that we're more productive, but now there's an expectation that we're more productive because yeah. we have these tools. So, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of different ways that we could go with that. Well, we're getting close to the end of our interview, and I would love to hear from you if there's anything, any words of wisdom, sort of closing comments that you would like to share with our listeners. It's been such a pleasure having you on the Evolving Digital Self podcast today. So, Sue, what can you share with us in closing? Well, thank you. It's been really great to talk to you as well. I think I'd probably suggest a couple of very small tips, which is that the next time you go outside, stop, look away from your phone and look up at the sky. And if you have to put your phone timer on for one minute or two minutes or be brave and go for five minutes and type, just put your timer on and look at the sky for that period of time. Mm. And then another time, You might want to do a similar kind of thing, but this time you're looking down and really looking at the world around you. Mm -hmm. And it's such a simple thing, but, you know, how many of us actually do that these days? And you've got your phone timer, so you can kind of feel safe. You're not going to drift away into some kind of, you know, meditation, but you can feel safe that you've allocated two minutes Mm -hmm. and you're just going to sit or stay still and just look around you. That's a good start, I think. Yeah, I think that's a great start. Just, you know, recognizing the environment that we're in. And then some. you've given us some other wonderful gems during the course of our talk of things that we can do to enhance that environment. If we can't get outside, at least maybe we can bring some of that nature in. 
So, so thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure having you on today's show. And I hope, you know, maybe we'll get you to come back because I would love to hear more as we both evolve with where we're going. It sounds like you've got some really exciting projects coming up. And yeah, let's just stay in touch because I think there's a lot of things that we can all learn from you and, and hopefully we can uh, share with you. So just to remind you all who are listening, check out the uh, show notes for finding the link for Sue's book and take the time to take a look at that. And also we'll have a link there for her videos that will give you a little bit more perception on what we can do to bring a little more nature into our life and well-being into our life during the digital era. So thank you again, Sue Thomas. This has been such a pleasure. And bye for now to the listeners. And thank you for joining us for the Evolving Digital Self podcast. Thank you for joining us for the Evolving Digital Self. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app now so that you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, please give us a rating and a review and join the digital self-mastery movement to create more conscious use of technology by sharing it and telling your friends. Want to see where you fit on the digital self-spectrum and how it might be impacting your business and relationships? Get your free copy of Digital Self-Mastery today by clicking on the link in the show notes.